Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Um, so the passage for the Bible reading tonight is in the book of James, um, chapter 1, um, verses 22 to 27. James 1. Um, starting at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Thanks, Marin. Good evening, everyone. Uh, as has been said, we're continuing in the book of Ruth tonight, and you might want to have your Bible open there, Ruth chapter 2. We're looking at chapter 2 and chapter 3 tonight, a bit of a marathon. We'll try and do it as quick as we can. Uh, we're going to be guided, like last week, through the Bible readings on video, uh, so keep an eye there, but if you have your Bible open, I think that'll help you as well. I feel like I need to say, you know, get my deep voice on and say previously in the book of Ruth so you can kind of get that update that we're used to at the, at the start of whatever series we happen to be binging. Uh, but I only want to give you a really brief overview of chapter one and that is simply this, that we saw last week how even in ordinary places of bitterness, God unleashed his extraordinary grace, particularly in the life of Naomi in chapter one through all that she went, went through. And in these two chapters of Ruth, chapter 2 and 3, we see that God actually isn't ever in these chapters the prime actor in the story. He's never the one that seemed to be acting directly in this story. But rather, we notice that in the ordinary places and in the ordinary daily routines of life, God is unleashing his extraordinary grace. And he's doing that in ways that we see throughout the story. He's answering prayers. He's bringing hope where there's despair. He's bringing fullness where there's famine. And he's bringing inclusion to those who are often excluded. God is unleashing his extraordinary grace in the ordinary place of everyday daily routines. Well, chapter one finished with Naomi and Ruth arriving back from Moab at Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So what happened when they got back? Let's listen to the next part of the story. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the town of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, 
Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So gleaning involved walking behind the harvesters, picking up what was left on the ground. And gleaning was enshrined in Israel's law. We see that in Leviticus uh, chapter 23. It reminded the Israelites not only of their own dependence on God's provision while they were foreigners in Egypt, but also became a way of facilitating for them to care for the poor, the vulnerable and the foreigner. Gleaning was one of the uh, better work options for Ruth. There weren't a lot of options for her and it was one of the better ones. While it contained risks, what we see as Ruth glean is God being at work in this very ordinary practice. We're told, as it turned out, Ruth happened to glean in Boaz's field, someone who we already know is a man of standing. So let's continue the story and see what happens when she goes to work. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came to the field and remained there from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink of water from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes, that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I have not the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves, and don't reprimand her even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley and had it gathered 
and it amounted to about an ether. Well, there's so much in this story and we can't address it all, but we do need to address the question and the theme that runs through here, the question that Boaz asks in verse 5, where he says, who does that young woman belong to? And that might grate against some of you because to consider a woman as someone's property is rightly outrageous to us. And we might think, what on earth is going on in this story that he would say that about her? But we've got to understand that Boaz's question is deeply embedded in the culture that he finds himself in. It's a question that is uh, more about the identity of Ruth than about any desire to treat her as some sort of commodity. Because in that culture, a woman's identity, rightly or wrongly, it's just how it was, was uh, deeply connected and linked to her husband or her father or her sons. But not so for Ruth. She had no husband. She had no father. She had no sons. It was right to ask, who is this woman? Who does she belong to? Her identity is linked simply to Naomi and to the nation of Moab. Boaz had heard about Ruth. He'd heard about what she'd done uh, with Naomi and how she'd come back to the land. And because of her kindness, Boaz says that he acts kindly and he does that in six fairly ordinary ways. And I'm just going to run through, skim over. First, he includes her even though she's an outsider, a foreigner. Second, he invites her to stay or to cling for those of you who were here last week, you might remember the significance of that word, to cling with the women in his field. Third, he instructs his workers not to lay a hand on her. Now, you might think, well, jolly right, he should instruct that, and why does he even need to instruct that? Why didn't that just happen? But the fact that it's in the story tells us that it needed to happen in that context, and Boaz did it. He was kind to Ruth. He instructed his men not to lay a hand on her. Fourth, Boaz provides Ruth water. Now again, that can just seem the most simplest of things until we understand that in that culture, it was a woman who drew water and provided it for the man or a foreigner who would draw water and provide it for the Israelite. But here, an Israelite man understand the culture, provides the water for a, for a foreign woman. He's being very, very kind to her, above and beyond what he's required to be. Fifth, he invites Ruth to share food at his table. Again, even though she's a poor foreigner, it wouldn't have been looked on, uh, on well by others, but he didn't care regardless. He invited Ruth to his table. And sixth, he instructed his men to be extra kind to Ruth. Not only don't lay a hand on her, but actually where you see her gleaning, make sure you leave a bit extra for her so that she gets extra grain. And Ruth noticed this kindness and kind of in the middle of these acts of kindness, Ruth goes, why are you doing this, Boaz? Especially why are you doing this to a foreigner? She was very conscious 
of who she was, of her identity and of what that meant for her in this location. Now, some might think that, well, perhaps this kindness is happening because Boaz has already taken some sort of romantic interest in her and the story writer alludes to some sort of developing relationship between the two as the story goes on. But I don't think that's what's going on. Boaz just sees his actions as ordinary, everyday kindness that a faithful Israelite would show because he's a faithful noble Israelite following the way of Yahweh. Just as Ruth was kind to Naomi and came to live with, uh, with Naomi's people, with Boaz's people, and how she came under his God, their God, so Boaz wants to be kind to her. He longs that Ruth will find refuge under God's wings. He has a mission heart for Ruth and for foreigners. And we see that God unleashes his extraordinary grace through these ordinary actions. And you know what? That's how God often unleashes his extraordinary grace. For those of you who were here last week, I asked you, what would your personal story of grace look like? And if you've had any time to think about that, I wonder how many ordinary things would pop up in your story. Just things that you were doing where God intervened with his extraordinary grace. That's what God often does. Unleashes extraordinary grace in the middle of the ordinary. And that should give us incredible value for the things that we do day in, day out. The ordinary things done faithfully are ways that God unleashes his extraordinary grace. Think about it from Boaz's perspective. In his routine, Boaz made sure that Ruth was not subject to any form of abuse. Abuse of women in our world remains a horrific reality, whether it be the examples of unwanted sexual touching by a drunken NRL player in a bar, or whether it be the trafficking of women into sex slavery, the objectification of women, coercive control, whatever it is, we have an opportunity to show kindness just like Boaz. Now, we can't solve every problem. I get that. Boaz couldn't solve every problem in his world either. But we can take every step that's put before us, every step that we can possibly take towards being a people of grace and a place of grace. That grace might ooze from us as it did from Boaz to the world around us. We can take every step that is within our control to make things safe, whether that be at school, at university, in the workplace, in your family setting, in social settings. And some of us are in positions of power, like Boaz. How do we use our power? to demonstrate kindness, trusting that God is working in the ordinary routines as we demonstrate kindness, grace, to unleash his extraordinary kindness and grace. A little later this month, on the 27th of July, we have 
a uh, seminar that's about recognising and responding to domestic abuse. We were going to have this back in March, but the presenter got COVID and we've pushed it back to the end of July. 27th of July, 7.30pm. I encourage you to come along and to be further educated and equipped to deal with some of these issues just step by step that we might be kind in the places God places us. We also see in this story how God provided for the vulnerable through the ordinary and routine practice of gleaning. It was a commonplace thing in Israel. And I want us to stop and think about what ordinary things might we be able to do that exhibit kindness. One simple practice might be to resist the urge to sell our second-hand goods on Marketplace. You know what happened before Marketplace came along and we were able to commodify all of our second-hand stuff? People gave things away more regularly. Most of us, and not all of us, but most of us don't need the few extra dollars that come from selling most of our second-hand goods. We could simply find someone in need and give them to them as an act of kindness. Not the equivalent of Old Testament gleaning, but an act of kindness nonetheless that demonstrates that we have more than what we need and that we can be kind in sharing resources with others. Back to the story. By the end of this evening of gleaning, thanks to Boaz's kindness, Ruth heads home full. She's well fed, she's got leftovers from the meal and she's got about 20 kilograms of grain. She's got to be a strong woman to carry that home. Well, let's hear what happens as she goes home to Naomi. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you clean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman to work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might get harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. When Naomi heard about Ruth's fairly ordinary day, she recognised the extraordinary. Naomi saw Boaz's actions as kindness, but not just kindness. She saw them as hesed, as God's unmerited favour, as God keeping his covenant. She saw them as God's extraordinary grace. In the ordinary daily routines, 
Naomi sees God unleashing his extraordinary grace to Ruth and to her. And then comes a twist in the story. This man Boaz, apart from being a noble man, is also a guardian redeemer. That meant that he had a responsibility, though not an obligation, to support the family, the widow, uh, Ruth and Naomi, because of his relational connection. Naomi's revelation is a game changer. Boaz's hesed, his kindness, could actually extend further such that he could provide permanent support for Naomi and Ruth should he take up that responsibility. Well, Naomi encourages Ruth to stick, to cling with the women in Boaz's field and at the same time she goes about hatching an extraordinary and risky plan. Let's listen to her plan. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now, you might want to tell Naomi to get her nose out of Ruth's business. But that is us bringing our culture to the text and not understanding Ruth and Naomi's culture. Naomi is actually rightly concerned about Ruth's well-being and her future. But the plan that she has is incredibly risky. Ruth could easily be seen in this plan as it unfolds as the seductive Moabite woman going to a place known for its illicit parties in the darkness of night for all sorts of purposes. But Naomi's prepared to take the risk because she knows Boaz's character. Perhaps she's starting to see how God is even answering the prayer that she prayed on the road back from Moab to Bethlehem when she said, to Ruth and Orpah, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Aware of the risks, Naomi gives really clear instructions to Ruth. Wait till the party's over. Don't get in there while they're still drinking and carrying on. Note where Boaz lies, i.e. make sure you get the right man. Go to him and then wait until he gives you instructions. And Ruth, despite the risks, chooses to go because she too knows Boaz's character. So what happens? Let's listen again. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. 
he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing, and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley, and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Let's be clear. There's a fair bit of double entendre in this scene. It's sexually suggestive. And some good scholars have suggested that Boaz and Ruth actually have sex on the threshing room floor. But I think the double entendre is there as part of the telling of a bigger story. I'm not going to get into that tonight. I hope to next week, and if I don't next week, catch me afterwards because I'd love to share it with you. It's part of a bigger uh, redemption story, but suffice for us to say tonight, Boaz is a noble man, a storyteller. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Ruth is a woman of noble character. The story has told us that in chapter 3, verse 11. So I think what happens here on the threshing floor is they both make expressions of intent to marry. Ruth, by going up to Boaz and saying, spread your garment over me, and Boaz by actually doing that. But there's no sex here on this threshing room floor. Boaz does wake up alarmed and again he says, who are you? Notice again, Ruth's identity has come under question. It might just be simply that Boaz couldn't see her, but more likely he is questioning who she is. She identifies herself as his servant and she tells him that she's not coming as he might be worried about as a thief to steal his grain nor is she coming as a seductress to steal his honour. Rather, she's coming as a servant with the hope of stealing his heart. The spreading of the garment in verse 9 is more than just an invitation to keep warm, as I said. It's her saying, marry me. It's a proposal. And while Boaz is the guardian redeemer, he's not obliged to marry Ruth but he has seen something in Ruth that draws him in. You know what he's seen? He's seen her hesed, her expression of God's faithfulness, 
her expression of love and kindness and outrageous grace. And so he shelters Ruth under his wing, just as he had prayed that Ruth would find shelter under the Lord's wing. There is so much hesed in this story. It's everywhere. We see it going from Ruth to Boaz, from Boaz to Ruth, from God to Ruth, from, uh, from God to Boaz, from God to Naomi. And everywhere we see hesed, we are pointed to God's hesed for us as well. See, just as Ruth gathered in Boaz's field and just as Boaz sheltered Ruth under her wings, Jesus gathers and shelters us under the Lord's wings. Just before his death, Jesus mourned for Jerusalem, lamented over Jerusalem. And he said this, he lamented how often he'd longed to gather the Israelites as a hen gathers chicks under her wings. Jesus goes to the cross to not only gather those of the nation of Israel, but those who are foreigners, those from all nations, those who we call Gentiles, he gathers those chicks as well. Because on another ordinary day, a very ordinary day, when a group of Roman soldiers went through the ordinary routines of another ordinary crucifixion, God spread his wings and unleashed his extraordinary grace that all, whether Israelite or foreigner, whether Jew or Gentile, could come under his refuge and embrace. So extraordinary is this grace that Paul, in the letter to Ephesians in chapter 2, writes, But now, in Christ Jesus, we who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Ruth's identity is still being questioned and worked out. Who are you? And the story has not yet resolved who she is. But our identity is secure in Jesus and because of Jesus. We who were once foreigners and strangers, foreigners and strangers to God, have been drawn in into his household by the sacrificial death of Jesus. We don't just get to glean his hesed. We feast at the table of his hesed. We're not outside with the workers. We're inside at his table, feasting. Feasting so much that there's more than enough for us. We don't get what others leave behind. We get the fullness of our Father's kindness. God is extraordinarily kind to us. God has unleashed his extraordinary grace to you in Jesus. And we who experience such hesed, such grace, we are enabled by him to demonstrate that hesed and grace 
in the ordinary places and routines of our lives. We trust that as we engage our world with grace in ordinary acts, in routine places, God will unleash his extraordinary grace to people around us. Ruth left empty, but she returns full. This time, she returns with about 40 kilograms of barley. She is a strong woman. Ruth and Naomi had returned to Bethlehem in despair. But listen to the hope that they have as this scene comes to an end. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. The man will not rest until the matter is settled. He goes about the things that he needs to do, his ordinary things, everyday things, everyday routines that we'll find more about in the next chapter. Ruth and Naomi go about their everyday evening, but they anticipate as we anticipate that God is unleashing his extraordinary grace. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your extraordinary grace. We thank you for the ways that we see it in this story of Ruth over and over again, how you are at work in all sorts of things to show your loving kindness to your people. And we thank you most that we have seen that loving kindness even more clearly in Jesus who hung on a cross spreading his wings that all of us could take refuge under your shelter. We thank you for your extraordinary grace to us. As we live in it, may you also empower us, equip us, give us the courage to go about our ordinary everyday things not with a sense of hopelessness, but with a sense of hope that you, in those ordinary things, are at work unleashing your extraordinary grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.